please turn with me this evening to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, and verse 28. He, the elder son, was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. My well, friends, uh, we're looking, or I should say rather returning uh, to uh, this parable of the prodigal son. But don't worry, I'm not going to repeat the same message we only uh, uh, spoke of this just a couple of weeks ago, but we, there is the other son. We didn't really talk about the elder son, and uh, that's who we want to look on, uh, look at uh, this evening. We mentioned the younger son. We focused on him, but we said nothing about this elder brother, and we want to think about him. Well, this parable really, I suppose, it's called the parable of the prodigal son but maybe a better name would be the parable of two sons, because that's exactly what it's all about, two sons. And we could think, really, Christ is addressing two categories of people. In the younger son, he's addressing those who are obviously sinful. And in the elder son, he's addressing those who are self-righteous, those who think very well for themselves. Both these kinds of hearers were in his presence when he gave this parable. If you look at the very first verse of this chapter, then drew near unto Christ all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. That's the out-and-out sinner, the obvious sinners. The ob society knows all about them. They're, they're, they're the terrible outcasts of society, the ones no one wants to mix with because of their sinfulness. That's the younger son. And then... In verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they were also there, and they murmured against Christ, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Well, they were the religious people of the day. They were the ones who, were, who, who kept the law, who kept the ceremonies. They were always there in the temple. They were always, apparently, on the outside anyway, they seemed like holy men. They seemed like good men. Everyone revered them. Everyone kowtowed to them in the Jewish, uh, in the Jewish uh, city of Jerusalem. But were they really gracious? Were they really kind? But it seems not, because Christ in this parable exposes what they're really like, that they are really self-righteous. Both groups, friends, need forgiveness. It's not just that out-and-out -out sinner who needs forgiveness. That's obvious, we know that. But also that self-righteous person Christ is saying he's just as much lost. He's just as much distant from God, even though he's got the clothing and the apparel of a righteous person. He's not righteous, really, and he needs forgiveness just as much as the younger son, as the, uh, the obvious sinner. Well, you remember how this younger son, just to go briefly through that first part again, how he'd obtained his inheritance from the father, and then he went off into a far, far country, get away as far as he could from his father, and there he squandered everything, all his father's uh, hardened in inheritance, at least his part that was given to him. He squandered it all in a riotous living. He wasted the money. He wasted it all on himself, on extravagant living. But that extravagant luxury lifestyle didn't last very long for him. It soon came to an end, as it usually does. And soon he had uh, run out of money. And uh, penury, 
and a famine and hunger, well, that brought him, it seems, to his senses. And he began, we read that he came to himself in that far, far country, there in that pig, uh, pig farm where he was responsible for feeding the, the swine. He realized at last what a fool he had been to be away from his father. And he returned uh, to his father, returned with feelings of shame, returned with words of repentance, a truly sorry uh, uh, young man. Father saw him returning, saw him coming back, and ran out to meet him, ran as a com with full of compassion. There was no animosity. There was no telling off. There was no rebuke in him. He ran to meet his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he hugged him, and he kissed him repeatedly in the signs of great affection. He was so full of joy and gladness to have his dear son back home again. And he called for a feast, and he called for a celebration. We read in verse 23, bring hither, he said to his servants, the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And it's at this point that we are introduced to the elder son. Here he comes. He is the elder son, verse 25, was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. He's coming in from the field. He's had a long day in the field, another long day. Almost every day he's been working six days a week. He, he labors hard in the field. He labors hard for his, his father. In the heat of the day, oh, he's, he's prepared to put up with it. It's been another nonstop day for him. He's had no time to put his feet up. He's been supervising the servants, allocating the work that they're meant to do, managing the books perhaps as well, perhaps even uh, doing his own part in the field, some physical uh, tasks alongside the servants. He's returning now home. He's hot, he's sweaty, he's ready for a bath, he's ready for a slap-up meal, and as he approaches home, well, he can hear loud music. What's going on here? He, th he thinks to himself. And then there's laughter. And then people are singing. People are happy. I don't know about this. No one told me about a party or a feast. No one mentioned these things to me. And then there's dancing. He can hear people dancing and having a good time. What's going on here? He says to himself. Now, verse 26, he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said, your brother is come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. That should have been music to his ears. He should have been so glad to have his brother come back. Instead, we read, his countenance changed. Instead, we read that he was angry. His, his countenance fell. This is not good news to him. It should have been. He didn't feel as his father felt. The father had run out to meet that wayward son and to welcome him back and to throw his arms around him. He was so glad. Even though his money had gone down the drain, he still welcomed him back. But his elder brother, who'd grown up together with this younger brother, 
felt nothing of the same compassion and pity. He didn't drop everything and run out to hug and kiss and welcome that younger sibling back home. He wouldn't go in. He wouldn't go in to the feast. He wouldn't join in the celebration. He refuses to go in. He refuses even to rejoice that his brother is back home again, safe and sound. He's alive and he's back home in the family home. He refuses to rejoice in this. He deliberately stands without. I'm not going in. I'm not going to partake in all this. He wants to make a point to his father. And so he stands outside, sulking outside the elder brother. He was angry. He was peeved. He was jealous. He was sullen. He was unhappy. He was resentful. All in a moment of time, he's changed and he's become like this. In his mind, his brother was a good-for-nothing brother, one who had wasted his inheritance. Why did he think like that? Why did he think? Why did he not think in a better way of his younger brother? Why did he? Why didn't he rather put uh, a better construction upon uh, the things that he'd heard? Why didn't he say, "Oh, my brother's returned. Oh, perhaps he's done uh, well for himself. Perhaps he's used." that inheritance money in, in a business venture, and he's made more money, and he's advanced, and perhaps he's now successful. And oh, that's why there must be a party. That's why there must be a feast to welcome him back. Why didn't he uh, think of his younger brother in that way? Well, perhaps verse 30 gives us a, a clue uh, where he says, as we, these are words he said to his father later, as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. It seems that word had traveled back from that far country all the way back to the family home that the younger son had misspent that money, that he was living up life, that he was living that extravagant life, that he was spending, devouring his living with harlots and other kinds of things. And so it seems it was common knowledge. Perhaps there was, people were gossiping about it. And he's hearing about the things that his son, his, his younger sibling rather, was up to. And so he's unhappy and he's angry. And he holds firmly to his sullen position outside. He wouldn't go in. Verse 28, the, father, the second part. The father once again had to go out and entreat his son. Once again, he has to go out. He's already done it once earlier on in the day. When his younger son returned, he went out and welcomed him home. And now a second time, this older brother, well, this older son, he has to go out once again uh, to him. And he goes out and again with all the gentleness and with all the tenderness of a father and all the feeling of a father just as much as he felt for the younger, he entreats the elder son. He pleads with him. He begs him, come in, come in, rejoice with us. Your brother's home, safe and sound. We should rejoice. Verse 29, the elder son says to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. 
that as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. You've done so much for him, and you've done nothing for me. These are the words, friends, of a slave. These are not the words of a, a son who is happy and glad and willing to uh, work for his father, who is willing out of great gratitude and appreciation for his father to work in the field. This is somebody who has been uh, thinking as a slave, I've been working myself away. I'm just another one of the servants. He is probably thinking, lo, these many years I have served thee. There is no love there in his heart, it seems, for his father. No willing service, no glad service. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Probably an exaggeration on his part. But what he's saying in effect is, well, I've been with you all these years. I've not put a foot wrong. I've got my head down. I've got on with things. All that you've asked me to do, I've done. I've been loyal in the house. I haven't gone gallivanting here, there, and everywhere. I've been at my work. Oh, and you should have rewarded me. You should have rewarded me for that long service, but you gave me nothing. You gave me nothing. And this thy son, that's the, that's the kind of tone, this thy son has devoured your living with harlots, and you killed kill for him the fatter calf, and never gave me so much as a kid. Oh, friends, do you see the spirit of this elder brother? Do you see uh, how he feels? He also is a lost son. It's not just the younger brother who is lost and away from his father. This elder brother is also, though he's at home, though he's physically present in the father's house, he is not really attached to his father. He's there, he's doing all the right things, but he has no love for his father. It was only duty on his part. There's no affection there. Physically present, but also really in heart. He's lost and he needs recovery. Well, that would have spoken to the Pharisees because they were very much like that. Verse 31, he said unto him, Son, uh, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. You have access to me in all that I have at any time. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Oh, friends, let's apply this. This elder son, as we said, represents a self-righteous person. A person perhaps who has, outwardly at least, some kind of a squeaky clean life. It seems no one, no one really has a squeaky clean life. Not in the sight of God anyway, but they can put on a, a, a clean life. One perhaps to whom morality is important. And they are concerned perhaps about how they live and how they treat other people and how they behave in society. They want to be good citizens. They want to be good neighbors. They don't want to be disturbers of the peace. They want to keep the law. They want to uh, uh, help out uh, their, their neighbors. Perhaps even the Ten Commandments are important to this, these people. And they strive perhaps in some way or other to keep them as best as they can. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Perhaps this is the motto of their lives 
quite willing to help other people out. They greet people. They don't disturb others. Perhaps in their families, and there's trouble, they're the ones there who try and keep the peace and restore the peace. They're always faithful in their jobs. Nine to five, they're there. You, you can't fault them. They avoid the vulgar things in life, vulgar language, perhaps drunkenness, and immoral things. They don't watch unclean things. They don't fill their minds with those things. Everything like that is anathema to them, perhaps. They're faithful, they can say to their spouse. They've been loyal for years to their husband, to their wife. Oh, they give monthly to charity. They're, they're generous with their money. Oh, friends, this kind of person, see, he's not an out-and-out -out sinner. He's not an obviously, out, outwardly a, a sinner. These kind of persons, well, they may even be at church. They may be a regular in the church. They may have a place there. But they're not, as, they're not really actually as righteous as they make out. Because as soon, just like with this elder brother, as soon as he heard some news he didn't like, his countenance dropped, he's changed. Well, these kinds of people also are the same. As soon as somebody steps on this person's uh, toes, well, they're offended, they lash out, they lose their control, they get angry. He's bypassed for promotion. Oh, and he's angry again. He's resentful. How come uh, he got it or she got it? And it should have been me. And they're upset. Somebody else is treated better than him. And he's envious. And he's again resentful. And he can't manage himself. And he's appalled that somebody else is, can be considered even better than himself. It's pride, friends. We'll come out as much as people try and put on a good front, there are situations which will show that they are still sinners in need of forgiveness. But here's the, the crux of the problem with this kind of person. There is no love for God in their heart. He's doing all the outward things, but it's all duty to him. There is no affection for Christ. There is no gratefulness to Christ. There is no love for the Savior. No love for God. No, I'm going to serve Him willingly and gladly. I'm not going to do all these things to please Him because I want to please Him. He made me for Himself, so I will serve Him here. I recognize Him as my Creator, as my God, and I will uh, recognize how good He has been to me. I will acknowledge these things. And in response, I will serve him. And I will love him in return for all that he has done. And especially for sending Christ. That's not there. That's not there. The love for the Lord is not there. Outwardly, all those nice things are there. But this is missing. Missing. And because he's kept himself from scandalous sins, well, he thinks, I deserve God's blessing. He may not say it. But it comes across, he'll think that in his heart. I deserve uh, to be rewarded. Look at the kind of life I've lived. Look at what I've kept myself from. Look at what I've not done. I've not done this, I've not done that. He's done that, she's done that. That's not me. I deserve to be uh, blessed. I deserve to be forgiven. In fact, I don't need grace. We might go so far as that. I don't need a forgiveness. I've merited a reward. Oh, I don't need uh, Christ. I don't need him at least in, in a full way. 
some of myself, some of him. Is that you, friends? Is that you? You two are lost like this man. You two are lost like this elder brother. Oh, he wouldn't rejoice in grace. He wouldn't rejoice that his brother had been freely received back and freely forgiven by his father. But salvation is in this way. This is what the Bible teaches us, that salvation is by grace. This is what uh, uh, the Bible teaches us. It's not of works. It's simply by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and by trusting in him and in his atoning work on Calvary's cross, what he has done. That's it, friends. And you receive it. You cannot earn it. You cannot earn salvation. You cannot merit it. You cannot deserve it. It's a gift from God. It always has been and it always will be. All who ever are saved and will go to heaven will will confess that I have received salvation as a gift. A gift of God. That's what grace means. Grace means God bestows favor on us freely without us having to say, Lord, I have earned it. Lord, I've merited it. God says, look, here is salvation in Christ. He has done everything. He has earned salvation through his coming into this world, uh, through his taking our humanity upon himself, through his righteous life that he has lived, through his death on the cross where he suffered and died in great agony to take away the punishment of sin for all who believe in him. It's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Here he is. I offer him to you as a gift. All you have to do is to receive him. All you have to do is to receive that gift from the Lord. And you are saved. All you need to do, friends, is to humble yourselves before him, recognize that your need, recognize your need of forgiveness, and receive Christ. That's all God asks of you. He doesn't ask you to pray. Uh, uh, six, seven times a day. He doesn't say you have to go to church and you have to do this and you have to do that. He says, no, only repent and trust in Christ and you will be saved. You will be forgiven. You will have a place in heaven. That's how it works, friends. That's why the, the Christianity is unique. That's why it's different from all other religions which will tell you You must work for it. You must earn it. You must be a good person. You must try your very best to please God. And maybe at the end of the day, you will get there. The Bible says you can't. You can't. You can never achieve God's standards. But he gives it to you as a gift. What do you do with a gift? Well, you receive it. Receive it with both hands. And say thank you. That's it, friends. So so simple. Uh, God has made it. Will you receive a salvation in this particular way? Or will you be like this elder brother who stood without? I won't go in, he said. I won't accept grace. I won't accept a free salvation. I won't accept free forgiveness. I want to play a part. I want to make some contribution myself. My pride won't allow me to accept it. I won't humble myself before God. I won't come before him as a beggar and plead and ask for mercy from him. Look at all that I've done. I cannot let go. I'm going to hold on tenaciously to my own righteousness. 
Well, friends, if you're like that, you'll always be on the outside. You'll never be welcome in the inside to be with the Lord. You'll never know salvation. You have to let go of that righteousness of yours. Oh, I know what I'm talking about because I had, the Lord had, I have to say, a big struggle with me because I held on to my righteousness for a long time and I refused to let go of it. And I thought, well, I don't, do I really need Christ? Do I really need Christ? Oh, how proud, isn't it? How proud to think like that. Yet that's exactly how I used to think. I used to think I was the bee's knees, as they say. Marvelous. No one like me. I'm not like him, I'm not like her. Oh, friends, the Lord graciously humbled me and made me, made me to see I needed Christ and him alone, nothing of myself. Society doesn't really help us, does it, in this matter? In society, well, effort, hard work, that all counts. You study very hard for your A-levels, and uh, hopefully you get some very good results. You put in the hours at work, and you more, li- more than likely be noticed, and uh, you'll, be, you'll get a promotion, and you can pat yourself on the back. You've done very well, and you deserve it. Well done. Oh, you, go, you, you spend some time in the gym, and you watch your diet, and you're disciplined in these things, and you get a great physique, well, congratulate yourself. You deserve it. You've put in the hard work. Salvation is not like that. Salvation is different, friends. Your effort, your hard work, your sweat doesn't count. It's only grace. It doesn't make any contribution. If you put forward any contribution of yourself, you'll be rejected. The only thing that counts is what Christ has done and trust in him. Oh, friends, the Lord entreats you. He, just as his father does uh, with his son, so he comes out to us. He comes out to us, we could say, from his heavenly home. He comes out in Christ who left heaven to come into this world to entreat sinners, to be reconciled again, to come in, leave the world, leave sin behind, come in to his home, come into his kingdom, come into heaven, don't stand without. He urges us, he comes in this kind and gentle way to plead with us. This kind of person, you need salvation just as much as that flagrant, brazen, open sinner. Oh, friends, if this is you, don't let stubbornness keep you from grace. Don't let a determination to hold your ground, to hold on to your pride, keep you from the Lord's blessing and from peace with him. Did that elder brother go in? Did he eventually go in? We don't know. We don't know. His response is not recorded. We know the younger brother went home. We know that he was in the father's house. We know that he was rejoicing in that gracious forgiveness and welcome he received from his father. We don't know about the older son. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know whether he realized his folly and humbled himself and went in. We're left wondering what happened to him. What about you, friends? What about you? Will you go in? Will you go in today? Will you accept free salvation? Will you say, I'm done with my pride? I no longer want to live in this kind of a way. 
I acknowledge I am such a proud uh, and, uh, person. Or will you continue to stand without keeping yourself, keeping yourself out of heaven? Or because I wouldn't humble myself and ask the Lord to give me a free gift and to save me. Oh, friends, it doesn't make sense, does it? But that's what, how pride so often hurts us and harms us. Come to him, friends. Come to him while that offer is there. Receive it freely, and he will surely bless you. Re come to him in repentance. Come trusting in him. Come yielding yourselves entirely over to him. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, our gracious God, how we bless and thank you that you speak to us in this endearing and kind and gentle way. Perhaps we deserve to be spoken to in a sometimes a harsher way, but, oh, Lord, such is not your ways. And we pray that you will come and draw our hearts uh, again to yourself, grant that we may leave our pride, we may leave our sins behind and receive the Lord Jesus Christ, with all our hearts, even this night. Oh, Lord, help us, we pray, to know you and to find you truly. Grant to us the blessings of salvation. We pray and ask these mercies in Christ's name. Amen. We sing our final hymn, which is number 385, Out of My Bondage, Sorrow and Night, 385.